0: Welcome to 2020 Politics War Room with James Carville. I'm Al Hunt here in Washington, self-isolating. James Carville is doing the same thing out in Virginia. Usually we're at the American University studio with our partners, the Sign Institute. But because of this pandemic, everybody is staying home. I hope all listeners will do the same. Please be safe. hope you can listen to our podcast, but don't go out unless you absolutely have to. This week we have our first repeat guest, whom we'll introduce in just a moment. But please subscribe to Twenty Twenty Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. James, are you feeling okay?
1: Well, I mean, physically, I guess I feel okay, but I can mentally, I'm not very okay at all. I mean, it just you watching this, yeah, I'm not. Watching either. what's happening in New Orleans, watching what's happening around the country. And it's it, these are just disturbing times, <laughs> really disturbing times.
0: It is. And uh, it's not going to get any better. It's certainly going to get worse before it gets better. And we only can hope that, uh, you know, by some time in late May or early June, it is it is peaked and that it doesn't come back. But uh, this is this is I don't think I've ever seen a threat like this. I wasn't old enough to remember World War Two, uh, but uh, I, I this is something like we've never experienced before, James.
1: I, I agree. And, and it's, you know, and, and every time you read something, that that actually knowledge th- does not make you feel any better. <laughs> the only thing that does is I, I, I'm betting that the, the world of science, you know, surprise us uh, on the upside as to how fast they come up with something. It was a terrific article and I guess it's in the Times. I'm not sure. I get where I read it about how there's no boundaries. They're all the Chinese scientists, the U.S., the European, the, the everybody is is working together, and you know they're, they're really working on this thing.
0: Well, uh, that's you know I, I think that's one you know bit of good news, but it's going to take a while. And um, uh, the great fear, as I say, is that this comes back. And I hope they can. Uh, Find something, some kind of vaccine uh, before that. James, our guest today is David Shribman, one of the greatest journalists of this or almost any other era. He was a terrific Washington reporter. I had the great joy of working with him. wasn't always a joy for him, I'm sure. Uh, Went on to head the Boston Globe bureau here, and then for uh, gosh, almost 20 years was the great, really was the best. Regional newspaper editor in America. He took the Pittsburgh Post Gazette during incredibly difficult times to become far and away the best paper in Pennsylvania and really one of the best regional papers in America. But David is really an interesting guest today because he, up until last week, he has been in Canada uh, teaching up in Montreal. Just came back to Pittsburgh about a week ago. David, uh, the Canadians are only uh, a little bit more than one-tenth as big as the United States, but this virus has hit everywhere. How did the Canadians handle this, or how have they been handling it?
2: Well, I think it started slowly, really but it certainly accelerated very, very fast. And it was done personally by the Prime Minister and by his extremely able uh, Deputy Prime Minister, Christian Freeland, who many of your listeners will remember was um, an important journalist for, uh, uh, for the Financial Times and others. And a thousand deputy prime minister and probably will be prime minister within the next decade and they handled it um the two of them handled it with great grace and with great uh, compassion and uh, great feeling and that, that's what struck me is the prime minister himself as you know Alan and uh, james his wife uh until this week uh was a uh, covid-19 and uh, the 19 um sufferer uh say they had to stay in the rito cottage where they live Uh, And he uh, self-isolated himself uh, along with his wife and three kids. And um, he's just extended his self-isolation for another two weeks. But every day he would come out and uh, stand on the um, porch and uh, on the steps there and talk to uh, reporters and, by extension, to the Canadian people. And he was very calming. Um, He was stern in that he made it clear that this was a very serious, you know, world-changing, country-changing, uh, event but in both French and English uh interchangeably really he went from one to the other uh, seamlessly he offered um you know open companion, and, uh, companionship I would say and he would talk about how he's taking a these his kids were doing Legos and his wife was on the phone with her friends and how they were getting how the Trudeau family was getting through all of this and um but he made it clear that this was very serious business and I have to say Montreal right now where we lived is the hotspot, um, uh, for, uh, virus right now. Um, many more cases than we have here in Pittsburgh, a city of about the same size. Um, when we left, there was nobody on the streets. We drove through, through to the United States on virtually empty highways. Uh, people are very, very serious there about staying indoors. There's none of this uh, negotiating about the meaning of is.
0: Let me interrupt for a second to to provide the scope. I mean, there have been, I think, uh, about 8,700 cases in Canada, or less than 5% of what we've had in the United States, uh, a little over 100 deaths. Um, uh, we've had over 4,000. It, it, it does suggest that they did something either earlier or better than we did. And I just, I got, there's been some bickering here between the governors and the president and others. Uh, there's certainly political divisions in Canada but did the various provinces and the various local uh, governors and chiefs chiefs work well with the central government was there the same kind of tension that exists in America
2: there is tension between uh, the the ruling liberal party in Trudeau and uh, and Ottawa but I I think that there was not the kind of tension we have here and um, the uh, credit there goes to Christian Freeland who's Remit includes dealing with the provinces and the provincial premiers. Uh, so that's the um, difference in the situation here.
1: Yeah. So how much trouble did you have getting back into the country? Was it, did they take Well,
2: we, we came the day after they supposedly closed the uh, border, James, but we, we, we um, went in the New York State uh, Champlain uh, border station. There were 10 automobile bays, nine of them were closed, and we were the only car at that one. The guy looked at, me. I'm a dual citizen, but I was traveling on my U.S. passport, and uh, not the Canadian one. And uh, he looked uh, at the passport for one second, and uh, and he looked off the board and said uh, something like, this stinks, and go ahead. So it took about uh, maybe 80 seconds, not, not even that much.
1: Oh, I, would, I, I don't know what, but I would have thought it would have been something more... It would have been a more vigorous response.
2: Well, uh, I thought they would take our temperature, order us to quarantine for fifteen, fourteen 14 days. You know, the Canadians on the other side are far more strict about this. If you go into Canada from the United States, uh, you have to self-quarantine for 14 days, no matter whether you're um, in great shape or not. Uh, I have a cousin who lives just across the border. She's a Canadian citizen, but lives just across the border on a green card in Newport, Center of Vermont. And she... Uh, If she goes to see her mother, who's 103 years old, she has to stay in her apartment for 14 days before she ventures out. There's no, there's no similar thing on the other side. Let me add one more thing, James. There's a lot of concern in Canada about Americans because our rate is so much higher. Our president is so controversial there. He's really loathed in a way that uh, even, uh, never Trumpers here can't imagine. And, um, they really don't want Americans over there right now because they feel they're contagious, uh, that their leadership has been lax, and that they pose a danger to Canadians. Well, they're right. Well, probably yes, yeah, probably right, yes. But it's uh, it's amazing. I mean, the most response, some of the most responsible voices. You both may remember from Washington Jeremy Kinsman, who was um, the top person in the Canadian embassy in our time there, and then later was Canadian ambassador to uh, Russia. And to Paris, uh, France, and um, I think no, no, the European Community, and he wrote a piece, you know, asking questions about the American leadership and raising these questions.
0: Well, you know, we we spend a lot of time, a lot of wasted time, uh, with Trump saying we have to protect our borders, we have to keep people out, uh, and what this has done, and actually, it's. To some extent, true in Mexico too, they want to keep Americans out because of the way we have been so slow and so, uh, you know, handle this, at least compared to a place like Canada or Korea, uh, so badly.
2: Yeah, it's, very, it's, it's really astonishing that the country that's supposed to have, you know, the best health care and the best um, scientists and the best experts uh, be the country that is held in uh, the lowest repute right now. And it's a very sad thing for all of us. Americans who felt so strongly about our own natu- national identity our own sense of national purpose and our ability you know dating to colonial days to be able to to uh, rise to a crisis um and to be able to um in the, the old new england notion that you know smart handyman can fix anything and we uh we have we have all these handy people and they're not fixing it
1: you know you- you can easily figure out what's going on in the White House and what has been going on in the White House. It's the public health people, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Bricks and, you know, maybe three or four sympathetic staffers have been pushing and pushing and pushing. And, of course, the, the, the idiot caucus, the, the Larry Cutlow and Bart Laffer and whoever else that comes in and tells them something. and. There was this titanic struggle, when, according to the Times and Maggie Haverman and Peter Bacon, the sources of Christine. The thing that knocked him over to doing this was the fact that the public was demanding. He thought the public was, you know, because the, he was listening to people tell him that the public wants to open back up, when in fact that is not what the public wants to do.
2: No, I saw those polls today, James, and the public surely wants to be more careful than, than the White House wanted until at least partially this week, the public really understands this much better than we would have thought, um, uh, than the president, I think, thinks.
1: Yes, but but one of the things is the major media outlets, when he does something or he actually says something that is true or right, they should give him credit. Because what happens in the meeting is that he says, look, no matter what I do, these bastards are going to attack me. There's nothing that I can do to right. Well, the truth of the matter is, is to ninety-eight to percent of the time, he's exactly right. I'm just saying, if you get a, if somebody gives him a good story that if Dr. Fauci can say, "Look at this, Mr. President. Uh, times said that you you did the right thing here."
2: Yeah, it would be useful from time to time. I don't think there's a lot of opportunity for that because uh, the times, well, you don't even need to finish the sentence. But you know, credit what credit is due, and we. You know, this was a situation. I remember when Reagan was elected, and um, there was no bigger opponent, more, more partisan guy than Tip O'Neill. And he used to say, and part of it was bull, and part of it was true. He says, "I'm rooting for him to do a good job because I love this country." And I think that notion. I think um, I, I think there's some of that in the United States right now. Yeah,
0: you no, know, I think there is. And but I, I, I and and he deserves one thing. He does deserve credit for was shutting off. Uh, and he traveled from china it wasn 't as dramatic and as quick and as soon as he suggests, but it was the right move. It was done january thirty first um, The problem was that he then spent the next five weeks downplaying the threat and not and not uh, um, uh, enacting the National Defense Production Act and not treating this as a crisis. But he does deserve credit for that initial uh, response
2: the um The Democrats have spent and liberals have spent a whole lot of time criticizing the president for using too much presidential power. And now he's being criticized for using too little presidential power. So it is kind of an odd irony that I think historians are going to have to accept.
1: I, I thought on the China thing that the pilots actually refused to go because they, they knew it was going on the ground so the airlines canceled. And, and of course Trump had no choice but to issue the order because they weren't going anyway. Is that my recollection?
2: That's true. It's, it's,
0: there's a lot of truth to
1: that. That's exactly right. Okay, exactly I, awesome. right. I, okay but I'll still give you him
0: credit.
1: I'll still give him credit.
0: One, one, one thing, the corollary to that is up until this time, he, he dominates the Republican Party. The Republican Party is his, it's far more than Reagan ever did. And Republicans, almost across the board, have been loath to take issue criticize because he is so egotistical, so insecure, so sensitive. Uh, but uh, this time there are Republican, not so much in Congress, but Republican governors. Uh, Larry Hogan has been way out front on this and and does not spare Trump from any criticism. No, uh, no
2: Larry Hogan. That's been very interesting, but don't forget Larry Hogan about
0: running against Trump. Well, no, I'm not forgetting that, but I'm just saying they're being very open. You know, Charlie Baker, Mike DeWine, who was a down-the-line, is a down-the-line old-fashioned Republican. Yeah,
1: that's right. So Albert search for the good Republican, this has yielded something out of the coronavirus. He's now got three Republicans we can talk about. Well,
2: if you guys you got to remember what David Broder used to say, Washington loves a moderate Republican.
1: Let, let, me, let me tell you what the after, one of the huge aftermath is going to be, and I think you're going to see a story today, is the amount of corruption that is gonna be going on within this $500 billion that Trump is trying not to have the IG oversee. And your, your country is gonna, A, they're all on edge about corruption now. The, the corruption and the profiteering that is going on and will continue to go on during this health public health crisis is going to be stunning. That's my prediction.
2: And the three, the three of us are huge consumers of the airline industry. But do you have any doubt, uh, any doubt, James, that the airline industry is going to
1: be as, uh, as um, uh, under, under uh, a huge scrutiny? I mean, it's outrageous. oh my god! And everybody, bailout. that guy Tim Wu pointed out, they made seven point six billion dollars in two thousand fifteen, and it all went to stock buybacks and executive compensation. And when I mean, the public is already outraged about corruption, but in This is going to be unlike anything that you've ever seen. Stay tuned.
0: I agree it's going to be. It needn't be. It doesn't have to be. Whenever the government spends massive amounts of money quickly, there's always going to be some fraud, there's always going to be some waste. But let me go back to 2009. Let's give Joe Biden credit. They put out an awful lot of money in that stimulus package, not as much as they're going to put out now. And it was done very quickly. And it was, and boy, the Republicans were looking for. It was virtually, I'm exaggerating slightly, fraud-free. Biden did a terrific job doing that, and we know one of the guys who helped him do it, our old investigative reporter Ed Pound, uh, David. They really scrutinized the problem. The problem with Trump is he he doesn't want it to be fraud-free. He wants to reward people, and he wants to probably reward himself. Uh, and if you don't have A really tough, independent-minded inspector general, which I think we're not going to have. I I think James is absolutely right. We're going to see fraud the likes of which you know we haven't seen in a long time.
1: Again, you're going to start seeing stories soon. I promise you, they're coming.
0: Yeah, they're definitely definitely,
2: no question about it. But you know, the uh, I I was stunned by how he uh, attacked um, the, uh, uh, the General Motors chief executive officer. Oh, he just eviscerated her, and it was know, it was very um, it was very surprising to me. You don't see a Republican president doing that very often.
0: David Tribman, you know, a no keener observer of American politics than you. You really weren't surprised. He attacks savagely anybody, anybody. and he particularly like I know, but you know, it's
2: just a bizarre, but just one of the bizarre turns of all this.
0: You don't
1: think her agenda got him all stoked up? He 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 seems to attack everybody, but he has a particular fondness for attacking females.
2: Well, in particular, in particular one of Judy Woodruff's uh, terrific colleagues, uh, Miss Alcindor, uh, who was a you know, victim of a savage and gratuitous attack for doing her job in a noble way.
0: Well, he you know if you look around in a crisis you know, we have to do all sorts of things that you wouldn't do ordinarily. You have to suspend uh, some of the ordinary rules and norms. Uh, and when you have, you know, a good leader, a responsible leader who believes in the rule of law, who believes in a democratic system, you survive some of those excesses. But Trump is much more like, like, like Victor Orban of Hungary, and he, rather than uh, treat it responsibly, he's going to treat it as an opportunity, and that's very, very scary.
1: Yeah, the, you know this this, this cycle. I, it, I've always been sort of like, don't predict anything here. We don't know what's going to happen. And Jesus, don't we know? I mean, how this hits? My God, <laughs> what's next? You know. And I am not. I, I just get y'all's reaction. For some reason, I am not remotely worried about the elect. I'm worried about having the election in November. I'm not worried about winning the election. I I, I think if, if if we have an election and it is anything like a fair election, the Democrats are going to win so big it will be stunning.
2: Well, we had elections in 1944. We had them in 18, 1864, and we damn well to have one this time.
0: No, oh, I agree, David. Before we let you go, uh, you've been back in Pittsburgh for about a week now. Mm-hmm. What's the difference among People I know, you know no one goes out and uh, takes, does street interviews, but you watch the local news, you call people on the phone, you're talking to various people. What's the difference in attitude between Montreal and Pittsburgh uh, on this crisis?
2: Uh, I guess the difference is that the um, size of difference that the Canadians have to uh, be two meters apart and we have to be six feet, which gives them an extra six or seven inches. Mm-hmm. Um, the, <laughs> the, the difference, I think, is the level of seriousness. But I will, I will tell both of you guys that uh, one of the Canadian news outlets said, if you don't know what two meters is, basically it's the length of a hockey stick. That kind of advice hasn't been given here.
1: Hey, David, this is one thing I think that we should have done as a country. Somebody should have made red, white, and blue victory sticks and put them out in front of the Walmarts and put them out in front of the Walgreens and put them out in front of you know, Costco. And you walk around with that victory stick, which says it has patriotism. It says, "You close to me, I'm gonna hit you with this goddamn stick."
2: So we have, these, we have these red, white, blue sticks. They say, "Don't tread near me," and we're gonna you, you, me, and uh, Albert are gonna make a fortune on those. And so we'll we'll dedicate it all to the food bank.
1: Yeah. Okay. But I if mean, somebody, you know, somebody had had production capacity, did that shit, everybody, you know, and you just put them out there and let people take them and walk around with your victory stick.
2: That's exactly right that right.
1: right. no, the, the lack of a, a a non-governmental response to this on the communication level i i think it's it's, it's been it's been terrible i mean i don't know why the, these you know why they didn't go to these pawn sites and say before somebody enters that site you have to, have to put a 30 second hand washing and distance message to it the number of people at of, you know, pawn sites in March, there was a betting market. It was the over under was three billion. You want to reach people? That's how you reach people.
0: It's a, it's a reprise of the Victory Gardens of World War II. David Sherman, you have been a terrific guest.
1: Right. I, hope you, I hope you invite
2: me back, and I'd love to do this someday at LSU uh, so we can really see what a real university
1: looks like.
0: Oh, boy, I'll tell you.
1: The corruption, Uh, the corruption.
0: Tell me (laughs) this, uh, David. David, one final favor. Please ask your daughter, the rabbi, to say some extra prayers this week, okay? We we, we will do that. Uh, We will do that. Love to your wife. Thank you, and stay safe. James, uh, we used to have an old CNN show, which you'll remember, uh, called Capital Gang, and at the end every week we do the Outrage of the Week, and I, I I miss it a lot of times, and I'm thinking now if we had it had it these days and the Outrage of the Week, Mark Shields and I would have to choose between 47 different things that Trump said. However, I think this week he's been topped. I think the most outrageous thing, and boy, that's a that's a steep competition, was Mitch McConnell saying that basically this whole thing was the fault of impeachment that we the government would have moved faster and been uh, more efficient if it ha- if they hadn't have been tied up with impeachment. That's a lie. Moscow, Mitch, should know that is an absolute lie. Impeachment didn't affect Homeland Security, didn't affect CDC, didn't affect FDA, didn't affect NIH. Uh, and basically the problem and impeachment, by the way, was was over February 4th. If the president had started to lead like a leader really should on February the 5th, give him a two week grace period. Uh, we would, there, there would have been far fewer cases today and, and, and probably half as many deaths. Uh, so Mitch McConnell, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, but James, he has no shame. So he won't be. No, I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> you know not <have> any shame.
1: <laughs> on the good news side, if, Mitch McConnell knows this. If we get to an election, he he will not be the majority leader.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. All we got to do is we we, we just got to get to November in a way that we can have an election and an election on some kind of a level playing field or some kind of fairness. But there's I I, I just I, I think he, that the Republicans are going to get slaughtered. And I'm told that there's oh People texting me this whole timeline of all the golf that Trump played and all the rallies that he went to during this. Uh, I mean, that's beyond a ludicrous uh, assertion. Anybody read my friend John Chait, he, he methodically takes the entire argument apart. But look, one of the things you know is they, they're always going to have a defense. I mean, they're going to say something. They're just not going to sit there and allow themselves... To get slaughtered so and they'll say this and they'll come up with another with another defense and but but at the end of the day the the, the weight of public opinion is just not going to be with them when this thing is over
0: yeah no i agree and i am as you know for weeks i have worried about not whether there'll be an election i think it's very almost impossible to see how they can call off or even postpone the election although new york did postpone 9-11 for a week or two but I don't think that's the fear. My fear is that if this thing comes back in even a mild form in the fall, it's going to a lot of people are going to be afraid to go to crowded gyms and crowded YMCAs and churches uh, and vote or stand in long lines as they had to in Texas and California and elsewhere. And of course, the answer is some kind of, you know. Considerably more money than the 400 million dollars Congress appropriated for the states to try to set up systems to guard against that. Vote, give a vote by mail uh, option, Uh, allow absent, a much more relaxed absentee and early voting. Uh, But you know who will stand in the way, James, and and that's not going to happen. So if your state's run by a Republican governor, with the exception of the Larry Hogan's, my new Republican hero, or Charlie Baker, uh, it's going to be a problem. And the governor of Florida is a walking disaster
1: it's going to be more than that i mean you, you look at the governor of oklahoma look at what they're doing in texas of course all the, 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 the there's an actual study out that says when you factor everything in the 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 term factor is the party rep that the governor is from it's like a 2.7 days quicker to implement social distancing so but it, it doesn't matter. They had a, a flawed theory of this. When it came out, they said, oh, it was just something, it was nothing, and then it was a pokes, and it was trying to hurt Trump, and no one could do anything. And, and then every time that they do something, of course, as Dr. Fauci said, the virus has its own timetable. And now we're at the point, and been there for a few days, where the rates of infections in red states are, are the rates, are increasing faster than they are in blue states i mean you're starting to see some some signs that in seattle and york city or even new orleans uh the infection rates there the infection rates of total louisiana going up but within new orleans orleans parish and jefferson they're starting to go down they're still high you still have them but you know the, the the trend is in the right place
0: well, yeah. And I, look, we, we, it's just by nature of this disease and contact, this virus and the contacts that's required, it is going to affect heavily populated congregated areas more than rural areas. It's just that, That's just inevitable. Rural areas are not going to be immune. And uh, the red states that think that they uh, aren't going to get hit as hard are in for a, uh, a shock. Tennessee is getting really hit hard now. And, uh, you know, what there ought to be, the problem is, that 80 percent of Americans now are under some kind of stay-at-home order. It should be 100 percent right now, and 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 there's only one place that can occur. That's the federal government.
1: Well, it, it doesn't look. It's just what it just It's not. It doesn't work if everybody doesn't do it.
0: Well, that's why. The, that's why there ought to be a, a national stay at home mandate. We all know that. Did not well. We we don't all know it because uh, the national government hasn't done anything, and twenty percent of Americans aren't under a stay-at-home mandate. I, I, I say, I'm saying same he, he hasn't done it. We know it should be
1: done, but in absence of that, what the hell the governor of Tennessee is thinking? The same thing as the idiot governor of Mississippi. And I'm just going through that guy's mind. So the, the, he preempted local people like in Hancock County where they ordered businesses shut down, and he on a statewide basis exempted them. Now, I don't think it matters that no one's going, but we'll see. Huh? I'm going to have a
0: podcast on
1: I'll be off of it in a second.
0: <laughs> this is what the stay-at-home uh, orders uh, orders do. Some, some complications. Uh, this is the first week in a long time we haven't done this from American University uh, which is uh, their fabulous president, uh, Sylvia Burwell, has shut down the entire campus, as they should have. But, uh, James, did you do your class? Uh, uh, did you do a virtual class yesterday?
1: Yeah, I did. It Actually, I don't know how the, the technologist got easy. it. actually worked pretty good. It's just kind of hard to sit in lecture, sitting in a chair. <laughs> but, but it was fine. I did, I did a lot of Q&A. And, you know, we did uh, early on, I was – I did, uh, I had a expert of, in public health. This is, I think, like March the 10th, so, so 7th maybe it was. Uh, but, but Tuesday and we went through that, and then we did the law of geometric progression. So, I mean, at, at least they were pretty well warned, I think. Maybe not soon enough, but sooner than most.
0: Yeah, I did the same thing. I was surprised it worked as well as it. Did we had we had what like you know nine guests here at various times in washington uh twenty nine students from California to Massachusetts to Florida to Pennsylvania uh for two hours and forty minutes. I would have bored myself uh, after forty minutes, but fortunately we had a lot of participation and it's not the same as being there it's not as good but uh but it works and I think people people are adapting my little two year old grandson they're going to start to do. Um, they're going to start to do some online lessons from his daycare center. Uh, they're teaching him Spanish, and uh, you know I think you know people can adapt. The problem, though, James, is there are lots of places in America, unfortunately, that don't have that option. I saw a piece on television this morning on Camden, New Jersey, where 98 percent of families live below the poverty line. They don't have. Uh, connectivity they can't be taught like that and so like a lot of things the effects uh, are it's not going to affect the haves and have-nots the same and uh, the other problem I worry a lot about is I think the child and spousal abuse is going to increase a lot in in this climate but uh, there's a lot of bad things going on let's just cling to your hope that the scientists will uh, act with the great uh, efficiency and speed that they have in the past. All right, be safe out there, and we will see you again next week. We want to thank everybody uh, for tuning in uh, to uh, our our weekly podcast. A little bit different this week, but uh, it, it was still. I, I think we David Schriven was a great guest, and it was good to have. And I hope that you will please uh, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Al Hunt for James Carville saying everybody out there stay home and be safe.